Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we are speaking with Laura Gassner-Odding. Have you ever felt stuck? That there's more for you to achieve, more to your ever-unfolding story, but you're just not sure how to get there? Then you've come to the right place, because Laura Gassner-Odding helps people do just that. This serial entrepreneur who has started and sold a successful international executive search firm, built philanthropic and political action committees from scratch, and was a White House appointee on the team which created the National Service Project, AmeriCorps. Laura is like a punch in the face wrapped in a warm hug. She is an author, lightweight champion of the Get the hell out of your own way world, competitive rower, and professional badass. Here is part one of a two-part interview. So welcome, Laura Gassner-Odding. How are you? I am great. How are you today? I'm doing well, and we're so happy to have you on our podcast. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am, absolutely. So Laura, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? My path to leadership was entirely accidental and thoroughly wonky. You know, I get young people and especially women who come to me and they say, oh my gosh, you're so put together. You've got it all together. You're such a badass. And I think to myself, I so don't. You just see me as the me of today and you didn't see me 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago when you know I was the science fair nerd who literally tripped going up the stairs to get my trophy for winning. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> I you still know, trip, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. I tripped the other day, this giant bruise on my knee. And so you know, people see you as this like total finished package and they don't realize the path that you, know, you take mm-hmm. on the way. And we think that leaders are supposed to be this out front, you know, in center stage person. And really, there are so many people who are leaders, who are leaders, who are quiet, who are behind the scenes, who lead by propping up and building up others. And so, you know, my path to leadership was doing all the right things, checking all the boxes, getting all the gold stars along the way, because I was supposed to go to the right school and get the right internship and marry the right person and live in the right house and send my kids to the right after school programs. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that once I stopped trying to be the person that everybody else thought I was going to be, I actually tripped a little bit less, right? Like I actually Mm -hmm. became a little smoother because I was able to be in consonance. I was able to be in alignment and in flow with who I actually am. And so my path to leadership it looks from outside, like I sort of climbed the ladder, but from the inside, it looks like a whole lot of getting to know who I really am and where I am at my best so that I can then be that leader for all the causes and the people who I hold dear. And what is it that you're doing now? 
I started my career randomly working in the White House helping create AmeriCorps, the National Service Program, and transitioned from that into doing executive search for nonprofits, universities, uh, foundations, mission-driven organizations. And that transition is sort of funny because I left the White House having this incredible Rolodex, but really a dearth of skills. I had no skills whatsoever. And so what do you do when you're an idealist with no real skill set? You become a headhunter for nonprofits. And I did that for four years. And then I sort of had this moment of rage where I thought I could do things better and faster and with more authenticity and integrity than the traditional old guys, the traditional old firms. And so I founded my own firm. I ran that for 15 years. And a few years ago, I sold it to the women who helped me build that firm and became, again, accidentally became a public speaker. I was asked to do a TEDx talk and that TEDx talk got some attention. And from there, I got asked to go and do other speeches and people offered me money. And I thought, wait, this is a job? I I can get paid? (laughs) I'm a Yenta. This is perfect. (laughs) And so I started doing more and more speaking. And then I got asked to write this book. And so right now, I am enjoying spending a lot of time in a very self-promotional way to promote this book and the message. And I'm trying to get used to this new version of me that likes to be the sort of introvert behind the scenes and is now needs to be out there. <laughs> yeah. I've come to realize that if, if you being the vehicle for a message that will change the lives of other people is your highest and best purpose, you better get yourself comfortable with that. Because if you care about changing people's lives and you're the vehicle through this one particular message at this one particular time, that might have some chance of doing it, you kind of owe it to those people in those causes you care about to do it. So I'm learning this new multitude that is within me as I am, you know, in my late 40s. Well, I thank you because I know that that could be uncomfortable sometimes, but the fact that you're doing it for other people is pretty wonderful and pretty badass. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Well, it is deeply uncomfortable. I'll tell you, it is so deeply uncomfortable, but you know, that's, that, that's when you have to look to other people and you say, you know, these people influence me in my life. And if they weren't out front and if they didn't do the thing that got them to the place where they got on my radar, I wouldn't have seen them. And then they wouldn't have influenced me. And then I wouldn't be the better version of myself that I am today. Mm, Awesome. So as you were talking about your journey, you know, you spoke about how you've changed, how you were this clumsy, accidental kind of leader. And then you talked about also a moment of rage. So I know that there are pivotal moments in our lives that kind of shift us in a different direction. What was that for you? There may not be just one, but... There have been a lot of moments in my life, but I can tell you about the moment of rage. Um, Mm -hmm. The moment of rage was when I was working at an executive search firm, one of the best in the country, you know, sort of best in brand. If you're an idealist with no skills and an ego, you say, well, where am I going to go? I'm going to go work for the best. And then when they actually offer you a job, you're like, oh my God, I hope they don't realize that I'm not actually all that good, right? You have all this imposter syndrome. And then you go in and you start doing the work. And I believe that confidence comes from the demonstration of competence. So we can dream all day long that we want to be, you know, the queen of England, but nobody's going to bring us tea and crumpets at 3 p.m. So you can't just have the confidence that you can go out and be a badass. But if you start doing things, putting one foot in front of the other, in fact, you develop the confidence because you've now seen that you have the competence. And so I went to this firm and I started developing the competence and I started doing it over and over and over. And I got good at the work and I became so confident Now, not only was I doing the work, I was out selling the work. I was starting to lead my own portfolio. And I walked in to my boss's office and I said, 
So here I am, I'm all of, you know, 27 years old. I'm still technically wearing some of my mother's hand-me-down suits and they don't exactly scream VIP. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I also have a business card that says associate doesn't make me look like I'm like the A plus player. So I think you should give me a different title so that I look like a real grown up when I'm mm-hmm. out there representing the firm. And the firm, you know, had his name on the door. He said, you don't need a title. I don't have a title. Get the hell out of my office. Hmm. And he made me feel like a pretty terrible person, like a needy, wanting, Mm -hmm. just like unsatisfied, you know, all the stuff we say about millennials today. Like He made me feel like that Mm -hmm. kind of stereotype. And I wasn't. And I don't think most millennials actually are either. Mm -hmm. Um, And he just, he made me feel like I didn't deserve it. And then I went home and I thought, well, his name's on the door. Of course he doesn't need a title. (laughs) You know, like Mm -hmm. my name's not on the door. He's not going to put my name on the door. And I thought if I really want to do this in a way that matters, I should probably do it in a way that matters. And I walked back in the office on Monday and he told me that he was hiring a new person who had absolutely no experience and he was going to make her a vice president because we needed to have some adults around here. Oh my goodness. And I took one look at him and I thought to myself, you know, there are a few moments in your life when you hold all the cards. Very few moments. And there are even fewer moments when you know it. And this was a moment where I was like, you know what? I've got a great hand and I'm going to play it. And I said to him, I believe that I am of value to you and to this firm. And if you don't believe it, then we should have a conversation. So I'm going to leave. I'm going to come back tomorrow and we're going to have a conversation about my future in this firm because right now I don't see one. And then I went home and I like cried into my ramen soup, like, oh my God, am I going to be able to make rent next month? But it was a moment where I just said, I don't understand. I am doing this so well and I'm waiting for someone else to tell me that I'm worthy. And that was the moment that I realized that in fact, I'm an entrepreneur. And I left and about a month later, I started my own firm and I never looked back. Well, kudos to you because some of us don't get that till later on in life, but you were pretty young. I was pretty young. It's funny because I actually ran into another mentor of mine years later and he said, so when did you figure out you were an entrepreneur? Because, you know, I always knew you were. And I remember thinking to myself, well, why didn't you tell me? (laughs) Darn it. You want to save me so much time. Like, I feel like my superpower is that I can look at people and I, you know, and I've heard you talk about how you you can tear people down and you can Mm -hmm. unpack them and you can build them up so quickly. My superpower is similar. I can look into somebody and I can see their weakness, but I can also see their strength. And a lot of times I see their strengths before they do. And if I look at them and I see that and I reflect it back on them in a way that they can actually see it and believe it, even if just for a moment, just to take one step, just to try, I can make them a better person. And they make me a better person through it also. And we all rise together. We build elevators, right, to get to the top. And I remember thinking, God, why didn't he tell me? (laughs) If you can see greatness in someone, it is your responsibility to tell them and show them and drag it out of them ways that they can actually accept it and live into it. Mm -hmm. And that's a great superpower. Now, is that how you would describe your leadership style, like empowering people? Well, I would describe it that way. The people who have worked for me might not. I will often say that I like to throw people into the deep end of the pool, Mm -hmm. but I never let them drown. And there are some people for whom that is a really scary experience. And there are some people that it's a really empowering experience. And so I think that I am a very good leader for the right people. And I think that I am a terrifying leader for the wrong people. Mm -hmm. And so for me as a leader, what that means is that I have to know how to tamp down myself. 
about five years into running my company, I had a difficult experience with a staff member who was actually not very good at her job. And it was a failure of leadership. I hired somebody who was not very good at her job, ironically, because I was in the business of hiring people all day long. But hiring for yourself is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And she sat me down one day and she said, I want to tell you how to manage me. Mm. So have you heard of this thing called a compliment sandwich? And I thought to myself, okay, I mean, I have an idea of what this probably is, but nobody says they're going to get a you know, a rye bread sandwich, right? They order a pastrami sandwich. I'm thinking it's not a compliment sandwich. It's actually a critique sandwich. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. but I was like, no, no, tell me. Sure, tell me. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, first you have to bring me in and tell me something very good about myself. So I feel open and willing to listen to what you have to say. Mm -hmm. And she's literally using this tone of voice with me. And then she says, and then you need to give me some criticism. And she wags her finger at me and says, but it has to be constructive. Then the other side of the sandwich is that you need to tell me something else really good about myself. So I leave wanting to put into practice what you've just told me. I don't even know how to respond. Now I'm sitting there thinking to myself, the fact that I sign your paychecks every two weeks should be the inspiration to do what I have now brought up. Mm -hmm. But I said, and I'm not proud of this moment. I am really not proud of this moment. But I looked at her and I said, you know, the problem with that advice is that I can't think of a second nice thing to say about your work. It was not nice. It was bordering on abusive. And that was a moment that I realized I need somebody to be a manager in my firm. Mm -hmm. I am very, very good at being the champion. I am the friend you want in the foxhole. You want me in your corner in a fight. I will walk on glass and go through fire for my people. But the everyday development and quality assurance and like working with people day in and day out to build them, that is not my strong suit at all. And so I ended up bringing in a business partner who became the COO, who became the person to manage all the people, allowing me to go out and be the big, brash, iconoclastic, out there leader talking about how executive search should be done differently because nonprofits deserve better. And I could be the champion for my people. Mm -hmm. And I could be a role model and I could be a leader, but I didn't have to be a teacher every single day. I am, you know, from New York. I am all gut. I am, you know, I'm all in, go big or go home. And she is from Atlanta, has a little blonde bob. She's got a PhD in psychology from an Ivy League school. She does like horse jumping as a hobby. She's like all brain. And Mm -hmm. so the two of us had a very good yin and yang. And I believe that I was able to be a good leader because I knew where I really, really wasn't. And I was able to bring in somebody who balanced me so that she became a better leader because I was the person who did all the crazy outside stuff that she hated. And I could be a good leader because she took care of the fires Mm -hmm. on the home front. Mm -hmm. And that's important that you know your superpower, but that you also know your limitations. Yeah. My super weakness is just about as strong as my superpower. And I think we all get that. Like, I don't think you get one end of the spectrum without the other. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. If you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top-level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. So Laura, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? 
Well, I always go to my favorite three, my Troika, Eleanor Roosevelt, Muhammad Ali, and Bruce Lee. All right. So Eleanor Roosevelt implores us to do the things we think we cannot do. She just put on her battle armor and she did things that women could not do, were not expected to do, were not allowed to do when she did it. And I think about if she can do those hard things with all those people looking at her, I can do anything. And then I think about Muhammad Ali, who believed that if our minds can conceive it, our hearts can believe it, and then we can achieve it. And again, I think that it comes down to you have to believe that there is something that you can do, but it has to start with your mind understanding it and that faith that you have in yourself. And once you have those things, then you can start doing. And he, of course, was somebody who worked very hard to build a life that was not expected and was not necessarily always welcomed by everyone. And so um, I think about him sometimes also. And then Bruce Lee, I'm kind of a, like a kung fu movie freak. Most people don't know that about me, but I really like martial arts movies. And he was pretty nice on the eyes as well. He was not bad. It's true. And he would say, be like water. And what I like about that, obviously, he, he said, you know, the key to martial arts is to be like water, to always just be like very loose and be able to absorb and move and grow and change and movement and flexibility and agility were so important to him. But I think that as leaders, if we decide that we are going to be one thing, period. And we stay on that path, you know, the path that was picked by somebody else. And we decide that that's where we're going and we just stay there hard-headed. We miss out on so many opportunities. I'm a firm believer that there is an adventure around every corner if you just look hard enough. When my younger son was five, we got on the subway to go downtown. He was fascinated by trains. He loved trains. And mm-hmm. so I just, what were we going to do on a Sunday afternoon? I'm like, I'll just take him on the subway. We'll go on a train, like in and out of itself. That's yes. going to be really exciting. Mm-hmm. So we got on a train to just ride the rails for the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And we got on the train and all of a sudden there are all these people and they're all wearing like festive clothes. And I thought, what's going on? And it turns out that there was a big parade downtown. And when we got off of the subway at the stop where all these people were going, there was a big parade. And we walked up and all of a sudden there's elephants walking down the street. And my <laughs> five-year-old like looks at this like, oh my God. And he lives in this world where at any moment, you could get off of a subway stop to see a parade of elephants walking down the street. And if what you have decided is that day, I'm going to go do grocery shopping, or I'm going to you know, read this book, or I'm going to have this meeting with whoever, and you encounter a parade of elephants and you decide you can't do it, like think about what you're missing. Yes. So I feel like it's yes. so important to just, like you have to write your plans, but you write them in pencil. And then if you encounter a parade of elephants, wow, yes. have a great time. It's certainly a mindset. It's a focus to embrace your day. And I love that to be like water, to kind of go with the flow as well. I mean, even in our conversation when we first started, are we going to stick to the questions? Well, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I typically do. But then we, you know, I also like to flow because there's so much more to you than these questions. So I appreciate that. I think people are endlessly fascinating. And of course, I spent 20 years doing executive search, but I did it for organizations that had some sort of mission drive. So even if I was interviewing somebody coming from the corporate sector who was interested in nonprofit work, yeah, I could hear about why they wanted to increase shareholder value. And I could probably make a whole lot more money if I did this work for Coca-Cola or Hilton Hotel chain or something. But the fact that I was listening to somebody's story, their why. I remember the very first week I started doing this search work, I sat down with my boss and we were interviewing somebody who at the time was head of communications for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. 
And he said, well, you know, how do you get so good at crisis communication? You know, if all of a sudden you're sitting there and, you know, Egypt air 300 goes down and 800 people are dead or, you know, 9-11 or something happens, how do you get good at that? We were sitting in the Harvard Club of New York and it was very fancy and staid. And she like put a little egg salad sandwich down on the plate and she looked up at him and looked at me and said, well, when I was growing up, my father was a drunk and every Friday was payday. And I never knew if he was going to come home with a bag of groceries, an envelope of cash, or a broken vodka bottle that he'd whip at me and my brother's heads. So you get pretty good at handling crises. And I absorbed in that moment that this job was not just a job, it was a gift. And I got the privilege to listen to stories of why people took their work seriously every single day. And so I feel like there is so much depth. So, you know, why do you do this podcast? Why do you want to reach these audience members? And I, you know, I told you, I listened to your manifesto about trust and what it means. And I was so taken by that because I think it is difficult to be vulnerable, but I think that if you're being vulnerable because it is in pursuit of a cause of creating a better community for everyone and building that tribe, it is so important and so impactful. And so I'm endlessly fascinated by humans and their humanity. I appreciate that because I'm also curious about people, which is part of the reason why I do what I do. Now, Laura, can you tell us what type of leader you're inspired by and why? I'm so inspired by leaders who understand that leadership is not just center stage and not just being in the spotlight, but actually holding the spotlight for others. I think the best leaders that I've ever seen are the ones where you feel like you are better for being in their aura. Not because they've shined light on you, you know, you've paid attention to me, but because they've shined light on you and shown you parts of yourself that you wouldn't have been able to see on your own. Beautifully said. Now, I heard that you wrote a book. I did. Tell us about it. Yes. So I have a new book. It Mm -hmm. is called Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. Where can we get it? You can order on Amazon.com. It can be ordered on Barnes and Noble. But before people buy the book, and yes, I want you to buy the book, but you can also go to a website, LimitlessAssessment.com, and you can actually take a short quiz. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes, and you can see what may be holding you back from being limitless. And that quiz is based around the idea that in order to become limitless, we have to find our consonants. We have to find the thing that puts us in alignment and flow where all of our energies are directing towards the same place, the same goal, the same calling that we want for ourselves. So over the course of 20 years of doing search, I interviewed a lot of very successful people. Mm -hmm. But I didn't necessarily interview a lot of happy people. And I was caught by the idea that success doesn't always equal happiness. And as I tried to figure out who was both successful and happiness, I came upon this framework that there are four things that put us in consonance. There is our calling, this thing that we want more than anything else, this bigger idea, which could be curing cancer and teaching students and feeding the poor, but it could also be getting out of debt and taking care of your family or buying a Maserati in a beach house. There's no judgment about calling, but there's something that you have. The second is connection. Does the work that you're doing on a daily basis connect to serving that calling? And do you see sight lines to like whether or not your work actually matters? Third, contribution. 
if connection is about the work, contribution is about you. So how does your work contribute to the values you want to manifest in this world, the lifestyle that you want to live, the career that you'd like to build? And then lastly, control. How much control do you have? How much agency do you have over the connection and the contribution towards serving that calling? And at every age and at every life stage, we're all going to value calling, connection, contribution, and control differently. So if you're young, like I was working on a political campaign, you cared deeply about calling. It was all you wanted to do. But connection, I was fetching coffee. I had no connection whatsoever, but I didn't care Mm -hmm. because I had contribution. I could see how I was manifesting my values into the world. And I could see that if this candidate won, maybe I would get a job in an interesting place and that would build a career. And control, I had none of it, but that again, didn't matter because I had more of the things that I cared about. Now that I'm older and I've got teenagers, I care deeply about making sure that I am doing work that's important, but that I have to have some control over being able to be home certain days and the contribution of this work allowing me to have a lifestyle that gives me flexibility to be here for my family. So I will only do work that connects deeply because if it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. And so at every age and at every stage, these things will be different. And that quiz at LimitlessAssessment.com will actually allow your listeners to take the test and see how much of each of these four things they want and how much of each of these four things they actually have. And then the book will teach them how to get more of whatever they want in their lives. So it's LimitlessAssessment.com. Yes. Now, Limitless is a great title. How did you come up with that? Well, that's actually a funny story. I was not planning on writing this book and my publisher asked me if I would do like a guidebook for him on work with purpose, because, you know, obviously that's where I've spent the last 20 years. And I thought, all right, well, sure, I'll do it. And we got a few weeks into the writing and the a guidebook is written with a little bit of a funny format. It's, you know, chapter one, problem solution, chapter two, problem solution, chapter three, problem solution. And you can't really go out and find purpose in that kind of format. So he called me up and he's like, listen, I know I asked you to write this book, but it's not really working out and we're not going to put it as part of our guidebook series. And I said, there better be a but coming because I didn't even plan on writing this book. And he said, but we think it's actually a bigger idea. So we would love to publish it on its own. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) Happy birthday. Merry Christmas. Here's your book. So the book was at the time part of this guidebook series, The Non-Obvious Guide to purpose doing work that matters. And as soon as I had this conversation with him, I called my friend Clay A. Bear, who is amazing at thinking about packaging and titles and introductions and all that. And I said, what do I do? And he said, well, what do you want people to feel after they've read the book? Mm. And I said, I want them to be limitless. And he goes, well, how are they going to get there? I'm like, by just ignoring everybody else and carving their own path and just living their best life already. And he's like, there's your title. I mean, it was just, mm. he asked me one question And it was exactly the right catalyzing question. And it all poured out. And as soon as we changed the title, the whole flow and feel and energy of the book went from a guidebook to this empowering book that seems to be really exciting people because they can see themselves in it. Thank you so much for sharing that. This is the end of part one of our interview. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.